Friends, I'm going to do something different today and preach on uh, pretty exclusively on the first reading uh, from the book of Jonah. And I love the book of Jonah. It's one of my favorite biblical books for a number of reasons. Number one, it's really short. It's always nice. You can read it in about 15, 20 minutes. Second, you know, any story in which somebody gets eaten by a whale and then vomited on the beach is a story worth reading. I remember, I think I heard that story of my parents probably when I was four or five, and I fell in love with the Bible as soon as I heard that story, you know. But the main reason I love the book of Jonah is because of the lessons it teaches us about the walk of faith and the lessons it teaches us about God. The, the snippet that we hear today in the first reading is a little deceptive because in the entire book, every, almost everything is described as big. And I think the author of the book of Jonah did this on purpose. Okay, Nineveh is described in Hebrew as a big city. The storm that hits the sailors in Jonah on the sea is described as a big storm. The fear that the sailors fear regarding the storm is called a big fear. Of course, you all know that the animal that eats Jonah is described as a big fish, not a whale. We just say it's a whale because that's the biggest fish that we know. And later on at the end of the book, when Jonah is angry at God, he's described to have big anger. Almost everything in the book is described as big except one thing, and that's Jonah. Jonah comes out of this book looking incredibly small. That's why this reading's a little deceptive, because it's in the middle of the story. The story starts when God calls Jonah to go and preach repentance to the Ninevites, and Jonah doesn't want to go. He doesn't like the Ninevites. He doesn't think they're worthy of repentance and redemption. And so he flees, he gets on the water, he gets caught in a storm, gets eaten by a big fish, and vomited on the seashore. Then we get this first reading today. God calls him again. And when you have been eaten by a whale and vomited on the shore, you reconsider the second time. You reconsider the proposition. And so, Jonah goes to Nineveh and does what no other prophet in the Bible can do. He gets 100% compliance. He walks through the city one day preaching, and the entire city, 100%, changed their ways. All, other, all the other biblical prophets would dream of such success. And you would think that Jonah was happy with that success. But if we read the rest of the book after this passage, Jonah is mad. He's mad at God. He's mad because God redeemed people he thought were irredeemable. He's angry because he, did, he thought the Ninevites were beyond the scope of redemption. In fact, he says that he wishes he would die. He's that angry and despairing at what God has done through him to people he didn't think deserved it. That he says he wishes he weren't alive anymore. The book ends in sort of a funny way. Jonah is resting under the shade of a tree, and God wants to teach him a lesson. 
So God sends a worm to attack the tree and kills the tree and lose, and Jonah loses his shade. And Jonah loses his cool, that he lost the shade. And God says to him, if you can't handle losing the shade of a tree, this insignificant tree that has died, how much more do you think I can't forget about the people that I have created? The book ends with Jonah... My scripture teacher in seminary used to say the only failed prophet, not because he wasn't successful with his message, he was the most successful of the prophet in terms of outcome, but he was the one failed prophet because he was never changed by the message that he proclaimed, never became persuaded in the message that he proclaimed. A couple lessons from the book of Jonah. Number one, God can use broken vessels to accomplish his saving work. God used Jonah, who was, who was not in it at all. He was totally begrudging about being there. And somehow, God still used him as an instrument to convert the entire city of Nineveh. And it's one of the many biblical examples where God uses broken vessels to still accomplish his saving work. Right? It's not a recipe to do that. It's not like we strive to be broken precisely so God can use us. But it's just how what God can do through us in spite of the fact that we're deficient as messengers. Think about the calling of the apostles in the gospel today. He calls today Simon... Peter, who will later betray him. He calls James and John, who later in the Gospels will get into a, a fight and a sort of jockeying for position with the other disciples about who's going to be first and second in the kingdom of God. They had ambition, they had ego. God worked through those broken vessels. On Friday and Saturday, we had a retreat here for about the uh, roughly 45 students who are in the Christian leadership program. And a number of them gave really incredible talks, grappling with this question of how do we be Christian leaders and Christian messengers when we don't have all our stuff together? When our lives are in shambles sometimes, and we struggle with doubts, and we struggle with certain sins, and how, how are we Christian leaders when we don't have everything together? One of them said, if God waited for us to have everything together before we could spread the message of Jesus, the message of Jesus would never get spread. Jonah is a good example where God still can use us, even if we're broken. He can still use us in our imperfection to accomplish his saving work. That's not the goal. The goal is that there's an integrity. Right? The goal is that there's an integrity between the message and the messenger, that they match, that there's a synchronization between the message. It would have been much better if Jonah believed what he actually was preaching. But God can still work through us even when that's not totally present. Second consoling message is that God desires and cultivates patience with regard to our conversion. We're actually told at the end of the first reading today that God changed his mind with regard to the Ninevites. Every time the scriptures use the phrase changed, 
changed, God changed his mind or he forgot something, right? We have to see that as a kind of metaphor, right? Because God lives outside of time. So it, it's sort of a strange concept. But you might get the idea that God does something like with what I do. When I say, I set kind of a low bar. And I'm like, you know, uh, I'm not sure they're going to be able to live up to this. But then when they do, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I'm impressed. And I feel like God sometimes does that with us. Right? With the Ninevites, he's like, I know they're human. They're going to be really stupid and dumb. But, man, when they surpass that and change the trajectory of their lives, I am super impressed. So we're told that God changes his mind about the Ninevites. So if we ever feel like we're at a place where we're beyond the scope right, of God's mercy, God always is patient, he's forbearing, he desires our gradual conversion, he knows that doesn't happen all at once, it happens organically. And so just as the, peop- the Ninevites right, could be drawn back into that journey of faith, so we can be. Uh, in the midst of our struggles. Finally, I think the biggest lesson from the book of Jonah is this. That God's love is bigger than our small grievances. And I'm playing on that notion of big and small, which I think plays out in the book. That God's love is bigger than our small grievances. Jonah did not like the Ninevites. We don't know why. Maybe he had some kind of stereotypical prejudice against them. Maybe he went to the city one time and had a bad experience. Maybe he had to wait too long at a restaurant, you know, in Nineveh. You know, the DoorDash took too long to get to his place. Who knows? Maybe it's because he doesn't like the idea that God would forgive people who hadn't tried as hard as he did. The idea that he had been so faithful, he didn't like that these people could just change all of a sudden and God would treat them the same way that he treated him. But for whatever reason, he's really resentful of these people. He does not want God to forgive them. But God's love is much more abundant, luckily, than Jonah's love. And if we want to love like God, we have to, our love has to be bigger than our small grievances. The areas where people have hurt us. The areas where people, we think, sometimes are beyond the scope of change. And when I say small grievances, I don't want to downplay that the grievances can be really significant personally for us. I'm only saying they're small in proportion to the love of God. Because listen, grievances can be really, they can be real and significant and personal. People that have hurt us, people that have said stuff about us, people that think so differently than us and we think are are hurting us. Those can be real, but they're small in relation to God. Because God's love is much bigger than our small grievances. I couldn't help this weekend but think of this in relation to sort of the the polarization, right, in our culture, in our politics, and so on, where I feel like so many people on both sides of the aisle think the other side is irredeemable. The other side can just be simply dismissed. The other side's beyond the scope of change. The other side's beyond the scope of changing their mind. They're irredeemable. 
right? They, 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 they just can't change. And yet the lesson of Jonah is like that was Jonah's attitude. The Ninevites are beyond the scope of change. They're irredeemable. And God said, no, they're not. No, they're not. No one is beyond the scope of God's mercy. No one is beyond the scope of conversion and repentance and changing the trajectory of our life. So friends, I would invite you, um, if you have time this week, um, read the book of Jonah. Um, Again, it's very short, not long. It's an incredible book. It's an incredible book that teaches us some incredible lessons about God, that God can use us as instruments, even if we're broken, that God desires our gradual conversion, and he's patient with us as we strive to do that. And maybe most importantly, that if if we want to be a disciple of Jesus and a friend of God, then we have to strive to love like God. And that means having bigger love than our small grievances.